As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Our Gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And again, we read from the inclusive Bible version. Six days before Passover, Jesus went to Bethany, the village of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There they gave a banquet in Jesus' honor, at which Martha served. Lazarus was one of those at the table. Mary brought a pound of costly ointment, pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiping them with her hair. The house was full of the scent of the ointment. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was to betray Jesus, protested. Why wasn't this ointment sold? It could have brought nearly a year's wages, and the money could have been given to the poor people. Judas didn't say this because he was concerned for the poor people, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the common fund and would help himself to it. So Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You have poor people with you always, but you do not always have me. Thus ends the reading. Well, work looks a lot different these days. Ever since COVID-19 came on the scene and we were in a pandemic. Working from home, that's become normal, even though offices are now cautiously opening. Workers have also had reason to pause, to look at their work life see if there's a balance there between work and home, and to examine the demands, even the devotion, that jobs demand of them. In light of how fragile life seems with COVID, how easily loved ones slip away, and how much some jobs do demand, many workers have decided that the demand of devotion to work was just not worth it. They quit. This has been called the Great Resignation. Companies will now have to make some real changes to attract talent. Actually, just this morning, we were listening to an NPR report about um, how Starbucks has had to adjust in their, their work conditions. Some companies will need to make bigger changes than others. In the past, unlike Starbucks, Companies like Tesla 
and SpaceX, etc., used people up, used their workers until they were spent on purpose. Now, this sounds cruel, doesn't it? Radical thing to say. I get this from Elon Musk, who's the CEO of SpaceX, PayPal, and Tesla, who wrote this in his memoir. Quote, I use people who work for us like ammunition used for a specific purpose until exhausted and then discarded. End quote. There's a reason you have a bad feeling about him. <laughs> Deborah always like, I don't, I don't think I like that guy. <laughs> I wonder how many of his employees quit because of the COVID crisis so far, or maybe before it. Sociologists call this expected attitude about work that has been so dominant the norm of devotion. This work devotion is how we are supposedly to prove ourselves worthy of our job by making our work, quote, the uncontested central focus of our lives. Our very identity and sense of value had become tied to our productivity, says sociology writer D. Chang Tozen. So this has become the norm, the norm of work devotion. And many of you have no doubt felt that in your own work life, whether it's your current work life or your past work life. Being devoted to one's work is important up to a point. Sadly, it's hard to hold everything in balance. When I say the word devotion, it may conjure up something kind of religious or maybe interpersonal. Devotion depends on what we're devoted to and on what we're willing to sacrifice, spend, or ignore so that we can be devoted. Mary was clearly devoted to Jesus in our reading of John 12 today. Mary expresses this in this lavish and symbolic way. She anoints Jesus. She puts this sweet-smelling, very expensive perfume on his feet. Now, anointing is symbolic of affirming divine authority. She also washes his feet, which is a sign of uh, service and devotion, which was a common practice in that culture. And aromatic oil, like she used, was often also used as a preparation for burial. So this part of John's gospel is especially symbolic, with all these symbols pointing to Mary's devotion as Jesus' disciple. And yes, Mary was a disciple, even though she often doesn't get uh, recognized that way. Interestingly, did you see during the choir anthem uh, the, the Last Supper painting of Da Vinci? Um, I it made me remember the Da Vinci Code book that there's this one disciple there at the table with long red hair. That was Mary Magdalene. Mary's extravagant devotion 
priced in today's currency would have been thousands of dollars. So she goes all in as Jesus' devoted disciple. And for Mary, this anointing also expresses her gratitude for Jesus raising her brother, who was there at table when this happened. Remember, this story about the raising of Lazarus is there in John's Gospel, just in the chapter before, which we didn't read. So she is celebrating with her sister Martha as they throw this banquet to thank Jesus for bringing her brother back. Contrast Mary to Judas, who really does get vilified in John, perhaps in retrospect of the betrayal and all of that, but uh, John doesn't mince words here. When Judas protests the extravagance of Mary's devotion, Jesus brings him up short. It's interesting that Jesus seems to read Judas and know what's in his heart, but he keeps him there anyway. Even Judas' protest, if you listen to it, gives us a glimpse of the values of Jesus' earliest followers. Caring for the poor was something he understood. He knew that was a shared value they all had. And they'd learned it from Jesus. They held things in common. They had a common fund, a purse. And they shared expenses as a spiritual community. These are good values. And Judas seems to reflect those, except for he doesn't practice them. And Jesus defends and affirms Mary and her lavish caring. Her extravagance on his behalf. Her action in John foreshadows Jesus' death. And Jesus says, she bought it for my burial. What often catches us off guard is that thing that Jesus says at the very end, though. The poor you will have with you always, but you will not always have me. It sounds callous, maybe even defeatist, And as our friend, the Reverend Heidi Tyler, reminded us last time she was preaching here, quote, a text without a context is a pretext. So we need to know the context. People have used these words out of context, saying the poor you will have with you always. Jesus said that, and then they justify ignoring poverty and spending all their money on evangelism or on themselves and engaging in heartless capitalism because, you know, you're always going to be poor people. That's Jesus said that. Listen closer, though, in the context of Jesus' actions and his teachings and the life of the early community that followed him. He says the poor are people we are to have with us always, whether that's physically or in our hearts, but definitely in our practice and should be also in our budget. They're not a class. They're not a concept. They're not out there. They are people. People where always to be with helping. The Parent and Food Shelf leaders came and talked to the Parent and Pastoral Association, of which I am a happy member, 
some really good people there. Um, and they, they did a presentation that we didn't actually see that room there on the left, but they said, you know, the Parent and Food Shelf, its mission statement isn't only about food. Our mission is to fight poverty. Wow, that sounds like what Jesus talked about. There are some who say the world would be a better place if we took all the money we spent on worship and buildings and instruments and artistry and decor, all the effort of preachers and teachers and leaders, artisans and musicians, and just put it all into solving social problems. They're partly right. The trouble is, if we focus only on solving social problems, we soon either get burned out as individuals or, as is often the case, get corrupted by just the foibles of humanity unless we have a spiritual grounding. And for that, we need to have that devotion linked with service. It's hard to achieve we have to keep working at it. Mountain Rise, as I've observed over the years, is very committed to serving and to devotion. And that always makes me feel joyful when I see, often behind the scenes, people doing things to help, to serve, to care, as an expression of their devotion. Jesus didn't need Mary to anoint him. God doesn't need us to worship. We need us to worship. Devotion reminds us that life isn't all about us. Worship aligns us with the one greater than our own priorities and our own worries. And worshiping together, we somehow seem better to touch that one who gives us the power to serve. We get ready to do what God hopes for people and this earth, to show kindness, to bring hope, to express love. And I've had that unique vantage point of seeing people express their devotion, sometimes by worshiping and sometimes by being kind and serving others. They both express devotion. And many times, people's devotion goes completely unseen by anyone but God, and that's okay. Look again at your bulletin, at the part after the benediction, where the words say, as worship ends, let our service begin. That's to help us to remember to get our devotion into motion. Devotion without motion leaves us, as I heard once way back in high school, so heavenly-minded that we are no earthly good. <laughs> so let's partner with the source of all earthly good to be a community for good in God's world. Hmm, I've heard that someplace before. That's also on in your bulletin. What do you say? Let's get our devotion into motion. Amen.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.